Welcome to Rework, a show by Basecamp about the better way to work and run your business. I'm Waylon Wong. And I'm Sean Hildner. You know, one of the things we talk a lot about on this show is how we spend our precious few moments on this earth. And last night, I spent almost two hours of those moments. Don't exaggerate. It's an hour, 32 minutes. (laughs) Wasted on a little picture called The Night Before Christmas. And I believe you watched it as well, Waylon. I did. Because last year, I watched a bunch of Hallmark and Netflix holiday rom-coms. And we did an episode about it, which was a lot of fun. And we thought for this year, we would both watch the same one and then we could discuss it. As opposed to like me watching a bunch and then telling you about them. I thought you might want to get in on the fun. I got in on, I wouldn't call it fun, but whatever it was, I got in on it. Did and it feel like holiday magic? It did not. It <laughs> felt like work, actually. <laughs> Well, um, to set this up, I'll say that I offered you your choice of Netflix holiday rom-coms because you don't have Hallmark Channel. Correct. That would have really like opened things up for us. But we just have Netflix. And actually, Netflix has really been pumping out these things, too, because they want to compete with Hallmark. So I offered you the choice of Night Before Christmas, which the log line for it is a medieval night, time travels to the present day and falls in love with someone. And then this kind of like uh, holiday colonialist out of Africa movie with um, Kristen Davis from Sex and the City, you know, Charlotte and uh, Rob Lowe where I think she plays like a jilted wife who goes to Africa, which is a country. Um, is it? And falls, Is Africa a country? <laughs> I'm sure that's how the movie would portray it. I would be shocked. And people who watch this movie, I'm probably going to watch it later. People who watch this movie can correct me, but I'd be shocked if um, they actually like mentioned a country. Right. Um, but then, like, Rob Lowe plays this, like, helicopter pilot, and I think they um, – it's like a enemies to lovers story, your least favorite trope. Well, just like The African Queen, one of my favorite movies. <laughs> I've never seen it. Do you want to hear my Catherine impression? My yep. Catherine Hepburn impression? <laughs> Wait, I can't – I got too self-conscious. I got too self We'll edit around it. Maybe I'll do it later if I'm feeling Wow. <laughs> what a tease. Sorry. I realized that I was gonna—I was pitching you a Katherine Hepburn impression, but I really was just going to do Jennifer Jason Lee from Hudsucker Proxy. <laughs> <laughs> totally fair. Well, let me run our listeners through the plot of—it's very little plot of this <laughs> picture. Don't you want to go blow by blow? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. The movie opens up in 13th century— 14th century. I wrote it down. Excuse me. 14th century Norwich, England. 1334 is the year we get on the crayon. Very specific. Mm -hmm. Chiron. What did I say? Crayon? Crayon. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Excuse me. I didn't say crayon. I might not have pronounced it correctly, but it wasn't as egregious as crayon. Okay. Once more for the the cheap seats. How do you say it? Chiron. Chiron. We open on— Norwich in what appears to be an abandoned castle. Like none of the extras showed up for any of those scenes until the inexplicable post credit scene. <laughs> Which we'll get to later. <laughs> Which we will definitely try to skip later. And our titular hero, Cole. Sir Cole. And he is going on a falcon hunt, which I've never heard of before, where a bunch of knights and his yet to be knighted little brother. Jeffrey. Does he get poison later? <laughs> His little brother, Joffrey, <laughs> are going to go chase a falcon through the woods. Okay, here's a question. Uh-huh. Could you hear 
anything at the beginning. I felt like there was something off with the sound mix where I could not tell what anyone was saying. I have subtitles on. Oh, I almost turned them on, but I I feel like there was something off with the sound mix. I mean, this I mean, movie was made for zero dollars. <laughs> you know, I will say I think they spent all their money on Vanessa Hudgens's wardrobe, which I thought looked really good. Is that the the main character, Brooke? Brooke Winters. Is that her name? Well, I missed her name. Her last name was Winters. I only wrote her name down as Winters until about half an hour into the movie because the students refer to her. She's a teacher. We'll get to there in a second. The students refer to her as Miss Winters, and That's then she right. we never find out her first name. <laughs> I didn't retain anyone's name from this movie. Don't worry about it. I took plenty of notes. Okay, excellent, excellent. Okay, we're at the Falcon Hunt. Oh yes, and the brothers split up. Mm-hmm. Cole gets lost in the woods a little bit. And it is cold and snowing. I should say this is set around Christmas. I believe we're on December 13th or something. Um, it was in the crayon. It was it was written right there in crayon. I did feel like the script was written with crayon on like a no doubt. grocery bag. No doubt. <laughs> he meets an old lady in the woods. He meets what appears to be a terrifying druid. Some of her facial expressions, like no one told her what movie she was in. So she's, like, I think, trying to be sweet, but it comes off so terrifying. Did she remind you of that monster you see in the alley in Mulholland Drive behind the A diner? little bit, yeah. <laughs> Turns her head up. <laughs> so the monster druid from Mulholland Drive gives Cole an infinity stone. You know what it reminded me of? Those buzzers you get at the Cheesecake Factory? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you're waiting for your table? And it emits a blue light kind of in an infinity stone type of way. Yeah. And she tells Cole that he must fulfill his nightly quest. He doesn't tell him what the quest is. We'll find that out later in a flashback to this scene. But the audience wasn't treated to it the first time around. That's right. (laughs) It's so bad. The other thing about her was, um, and this is like a stupid comment to make in a movie where realism is, is not the point. And certainly period realism is not the point. But her face is so clean. And if we're dealing with 14th century. Everyone is spotless. I mean, she should just be filthy. She also represents 70% of the population of this castle, apparently. There were no extras. There was one cutaway to three women being like, ooh, look how handsome the knights are. And then no one sees them again. There's a herald who, at the top of the castle, there was a herald. announces the hunt. To not an audience. (laughs) Anyway, Cole touches the Infinity Stone and turns into a puff of blue dust. Mm -hmm. Cut to... Well, his table's ready at the Cheesecake Factory. (laughs) His buzzer went off. Cut to 2019, somewhere in Ohio. The town is called Bracebridge, Uh which I feel like is a... Is it like a proper noun that they made up in the writer's room and no one actually said it out loud because it's really hard to say. Bracebridge. Bracebridge. Uh, three times fast, please. Bracebridge. 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 <laughs> I didn't make it. I should have done it in a Catherine Hepburn voice. And here we are introduced to, I guess, our heroine. No one's a hero in this movie. Miss Winters. Miss Winters. Who is lecturing a student on boys are dumb. Don't worry that your boyfriend just broke up with you. He's not worth it. Love is a fantasy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm completely on board here. We've got knights, we've got druids, we have infinity stone magic, and just disillusion with romance. This is like written for you, basically. I wrote this, actually, in in crayon. (laughs) There's a big gap in my notes here, so I actually don't remember what happened. (laughs) Okay. Oh, she goes to— Miss Winters, yeah, Miss Winters is 
We don't know her first name yet because the movie forgot to tell us her name for the first half an hour of this movie. I didn't realize, really. Uh-huh. Oh, gosh. So Miss Winters is asked by her sister to take her niece to the Christmas village. And whilst at the Christmas village. I love a Christmas village. I also love a Christmas village. Here in Chicago, we get those little boots full of hot cider or glue vine. Mm-hmm. At the Chris Kindle market. Mm-hmm. Anyway, at the Christmas village, we find out that Cole, after touching the glowing amulet infinity stone, has been transported to Ohio in 2019, specifically to this Christmas village. No, is the Christmas village meant to be – it's not meant to be 14th century, right? It's not. And no one at the Christmas village is upset that this knight is wandering around. People are taking selfies with him. Are knights a Christmas staple? There's Santa. There's Mrs. Claus. I think once you're in that kind of like old-timey town feel, you're just like, whatever, there's a knight here. Uh, yeah, it's like a Ren fair. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's like what period is the Ren fair actually? Exactly. Right? Yeah. I mean, it covers there's multiple pirates, centuries, there's right? There's Star Trek people who always <laughs> say they're time travelers. Is that what they say? Yeah, everyone hates them. Oh, no, really? Yeah, if you come in Star Trek uniform, what happens? listeners. Do people like throw turkey legs at you? Tomatoes, sure. <laughs> turkey legs are expensive. <laughs> You're like, I paid $7.99. Is it more than $7.99 for a turkey leg at the Ren Fair? I cannot remember. It's all done in hay pennies or something. Get out. It's not. I'm kidding. Oh. <laughs> like, where do you get such a thing? We'll get to the hay penny, which makes an appearance in this particular story. Does it really? Yeah, it gives them a half dollar because hay pennies won't do. It doesn't oh, matter. Oh, I don't even remember that. Gosh, you took really good notes. Uh, this this is after I gave up taking notes. <laughs> I just watched it last night. He turns up in the Christmas village. People are trying to take selfies with him. He is baffled. Claire, the niece, goes to sit on Santa's lap, asks for a puppy, and then asks if her aunt, Miss Winters, can have a new boyfriend for Christmas. Rude. Really rude. Um, Santa and Mrs. Claus have no idea how to handle this and shove her along. <laughs> They're not trained for this. <laughs> we also meet a, another family. That I can't remember their names. Which family? Oh, they're like a, it's like a single dad. It's a like single a dad widower. with like three kids. Mm-hmm. And they're really struggling but trying not to show it. And those kids ask for things like bikes and toys and things. Like things he can't afford because he is a widower. Not boyfriends. Right, not boyfriends. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, some other nonsense happens at the Christmas village. A lot of hot cocoa is drank. And then eventually we get to the call to action to this movie when Miss Winters hits Cole with her car <laughs> in full armor, probably ruining the car, certainly ruining that beautiful armor. Yeah. Luckily, Officer Stevens, the true anti-hero of this movie. <laughs> is, is he the gritty anti-hero we deserve? He is so awful at his job. He shows up onto the scene, asks for no one's identification. <laughs> they take Cole, who is obviously being a 14th century knight, to the hospital to get a brain scan. He says some nonsense about magic torture box or torture tube. Like the, the MRI? The MRI machine. Or like the CAT scan or whatever. <laughs> yeah. He's wheeled out in a wheelchair. He says he's going to sleep under a tree, and that's when Miss Winter says, no, don't worry about it. Come live in my guest house. I have a lot to say about this. I think that they made a mistake by having him be from the 14th century. I know that they wanted him. <laughs> I know that that's the whole premise of the movie because they wanted him to be a knight because then you get the pun and it's like fun to think about a medieval knight coming to present time. But think about what civilization was like in the 14th century. 
I mean, first of all, they should be speaking Chaucer's English, but I'm willing to overlook this because it's like you can't make a movie in Chaucer's English, right? But it's like Cole acts like someone who is time traveling from maybe the Victorian era, right? Like he's kind of like pleasantly befuddled and amused and enchanted by all the modern things he sees. But again, like that's how someone I think would act if they were time traveling from the 19th century. If you took someone from the 14th century and put them in the 21st century, I mean, they I think they would literally lose their mind because nothing would make sense to them. I mean, I I think it would be terrifying to the point of having a complete psychotic break. The way people are dressed, the way they talk. Again, like he should be speaking Chaucer's English. Absolutely. We'll get to the point later where he drives a car, not well, but with very few problems. She lets him drive a car and he calls it like a metal steed Mm -hmm. or something, which is supposed to be cute. But I'm like, no, like you would not understand what was happening. It would feel like a scary monster to you. Yeah. And it's like you would never have seen like single use plastic or like <laughs> concrete. Do they have concrete in the 14th century? No. No, right? He takes everything very well. Really like electricity, indoor plumbing. And everyone in 2019 takes him very well. Very few questions are asked of any of our characters. I'm not saying I needed like an extended comic subplot about his like reaction to indoor plumbing, but like indoor plumbing is a really big deal because I love time travel stories, I will say. And I always think to myself, well, like if I were going to travel back in time, what period of time would I want to visit? And honestly, anything before the advent of indoor plumbing, no thank you. Or antibiotics. Or antibiotics. I mean, and then so basically I'm like, well, I don't really want to time travel to the past because I think we have it the best now. What period would I actually want to time travel back to? I think I'd want to time travel back to 2008. Okay. That was only only 11 years ago. But seriously, like, why would I want to go back to any other period Vote for Obama again. (laughs) I mean, it's like, you know, like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do in any yeah. other period of history? Yeah. I'd want to time travel to somewhere in my past and be like, Sean, just don't wear that outfit. Yeah, maybe I want to travel back to my early 20s. Mm-hmm. That could be nice. There's a lot I'd like to fix yeah. from my early 20s. There's no way I'd want to go back to medieval times. Speaking of medieval times, let's get back to this movie. <laughs> we should just go to medieval times. So we should go to medieval times. I that love medieval times. That place is fun. That place is fun. So somehow Officer Stevens is totally fine with allowing Cole to go sleep in Miss Winter's guest house. How is she okay with this? How is anyone okay with anything that's happening? He could be a serial killer. (laughs) He definitely is. He has a sword. (laughs) Anyway, we also find out that Brooke, Miss Winter's, was relatively recently broken up with by her boyfriend, James, who cheated on her. He left some extra clothes at her house or in her guest house, I suppose. She keeps saying guest house, but then it seems like he's always in her actual living room. If that's the guest house, it's enormous. Yes. Her parents recently passed away. I don't know why she got the house and Mads didn't. Who's Mads? Her sister? Her sister, yeah. Oh, that's her her sister's name? Probably Madeline. She only calls her Mads. Okay. I, again, picked up on no one's name. Her sister, I really liked the actress who played her sister. I thought she was like one of the standouts. Um, and she really reminded me of, do you know who Jessica Mulroney is? No. Jessica Mulroney is Meghan Markle's best friend, and she's a Canadian fashion stylist and TV personality, and I follow her on Instagram. 
Anyway, uh, <laughs> Vanessa Hudgens' sister was giving me very strong Jessica Mulroney vibes. Okay. I mean, that's neither here nor there because you don't know who this person is. So it's all just like gobbledygook. <laughs> Listeners, if you got that reference, please write into Well, okay, so back to the guest house. I was as confused about the geography of Brooke Winters' house as I was about, like, the geography of, like, the Overlook Hotel and the Shining. You know that Mm -hmm. documentary they did about, um, what was it called? Room 237. Room 237, where they, like, attempt to map out, like, where the, like, hotel manager's office is in relation to the rest of the inn. I also had a similar confusion about her house. Why does she keep saying guest house and it has a separate entrance when he's just always in her living room? Well, sometimes he's not always in her living room. Sometimes he's outside lighting bonfires and fighting off Christmas decoration reindeer. Where did he get those huge like tree trunks for the bonfire he made? Unclear. He must have torn up like the posts, the fence posts of the neighbor's <laughs> fence. This is like, um, do you remember this famous story about Mr. T? No. In Lake Forest, Illinois? No. Oh my gosh. There's this famous story. I want to say it's from the 70s or 80s where Mr. T who was living up in Lake Forest, Illinois, which is like a very tony suburb of Chicago, he like chainsawed down a bunch of trees <laughs> and made the residents like extremely angry. And it was like such a scandal, you know, it got like written up in the local news. Anyway, I imagine this is kind of similar. It's like the the Bracebridge tree massacre of 2019 because, I mean, he built he built an enormous bonfire in her front lawn. But there are no consequences to anything in this movie. So, <laughs> well, there's only one police officer in the entire town of Bracebridge, and who doesn't bother <laughs> getting he seems identification like from quite anyone. lackadaisical. <laughs> He's so bad at his job. Anyway, this is about where I stop taking notes because the entire middle chunk of this movie is just a series of crap happening. Like it's just Christmas nonsense with a slight twist that one of them doesn't know as much. There's some Alexa humor that isn't good. I did not enjoy the Alexa humor. There's also like an egregious amount of product placement for other Netflix holiday rom-coms. There is actually a lot of, I did want to talk about this, not only Netflix rom-coms, which are always on the television, which Cole, I believe, calls a magic box that makes merry. (laughs) (sighs) Again, like he should be terrified of a television screen. Uh, But what I was going to say was there is a lot of this movie that is centered around how awesome it is to binge watch Christmas movies (laughs) with your new boo. It was honestly kind of gross. gross. Um, And I don't know why there was like all this Alexa humor. It was like how bad Alexa is because no matter what question you ask, she only plays Christmas carols. (laughs) Right, which I'm okay because I love Christmas music. I feel like they missed an opportunity here with the Christmas music because I think if you look at really old Christmas music, that's some of the best Christmas music we have out there. Sure. I'm saying Low A Rose Air Blooming, beautiful tune. The Holly and the Ivy. We got a little bit of King Wenceslas. That's a good one. We needed more of that because I'm like, if you're coming from medieval England, you're not going to be impressed by like, have a holly jolly Christmas. No, he wants minstrels. He wants madrigals. Remember, because when they're in the car and she turns on the radio and he says, where are the madrigals? 
I love madrigals. You know, my high school he also, had a madrigals club. Oh, my God. Were you in it? <laughs> well, I wasn't in it but because um, I'm not much of a singer, but I played the violin. I was in the orchestra. So there was one big madrigals holiday dinner every year, and I would be in – I would provide the accompaniment as part of the orchestra. And if you were in the orchestra, you had to wear basically like – uh, sackcloth, like a tunic, because <laughs> we were like just the entertainment. I had to wear like a tunic and like black leggings, and then it would be a full-on dinner. Like people would buy tickets, and then the actual magical singers wore these like really beautiful costumes that the parents must have sewed. You know, like long velvet dresses and like hats and tights and all this stuff, and then they would sing during dinner. And they would sing all these, like, beautiful Christmas carols, the ones I'm talking about, like, in the bleak midwinter and all these, like, beautiful songs. And then, like, the orchestra never got to eat dinner. It's like we had to play through the whole thing, and they, like, wouldn't bring over any food. And I remember one year I was just eating, like, a bunch of rum balls, like, for off the dessert table because they there wasn't Getting anything else hammered. And I, like, I got a little drunk by accident <laughs> <laughs> the magical dinner. My sister used to do tuba Christmas. What's that? That sounds fun. It is a bunch of large brass instruments playing Christmas carols in the middle of a mall. <gasps> That's great. <laughs> no trumpets, no trombones or anything. It's yeah, just baritones brass. and tubas. <laughs> I love so that. Um, there's very little Christmas music that I allowed played in my house. It is only the Vince Guaraldi, um, Charlie Brown Christmas. Classic. The entire album is fine. And the Pogues Fairy Tale in New York. Oh, that's a good one. Outside of that. Will not allow it. You don't like Pentatonics Christmas? I don't like any of it. My father plays Handel's Messiah at full volume I when I go Handel's home. I love Handel's Messiah. Why? <laughs> it's so fun. You know, people only know the end part, right? Like the famous part. But yeah. like the rest of it is beautiful. I played that in high school too. Beautiful. <laughs> and this year I really wanted to go to Sing Along Messiah. My church does a Sing Along Messiah that's open to the community. And I missed it for something else. And I was like, mm, kind of wanted to do it. Oh. Should I join the handbell choir, by the way? They made an announcement at church that they're looking to start up the handbell choir again. No. Don't you think that'd be so fun? Handbells? No. Bing, you only bing, played two bing. notes. It's so fun. You get to <laughs> ring a bell? <laughs> well, let's ring a bell and skip forward a little bit. We find out that Brooke's parents, mm-hmm. for a very long time, have been hosting a oh, right. Christmas Eve feast. Yeah. Like a, a charity, a charity event. Mm-hmm. And one of the offerings that they plan to bring are some fresh baked loaves of bread. Now, Brooke, awful cook. And she makes it very clear that she's never cooked before. But Cole, turns out, loves making bread. Because instead of going to school, he was a page and squire in the kitchens where he also said he learned to fence. Is that I'm even not a thing? sure about <laughs> I know you're not a medieval scholar, but does that check out to you? None of this makes sense to me. Okay, did you notice, though, what brand of flour they were using to bake the bread? No, what's that? King Arthur's flour. Oh, clever. Yeah. Well, this actually brings us to my favorite joke that's in the movie. Oh, do tell. Where she turns to him, finding out that he can make bread, she turns to him and says, you really are a renaissance man. That's for, well, when was the Renaissance? Uh, 200, 100 years after he was that's true. <laughs> taken from his home? Maybe they should have done him as a time traveler from the Renaissance. Yes. <laughs> yes, they should have. <laughs> okay, so they're just confused even about like what time period they're dealing with. What th- subject does she teach? It's not history, is it? It doesn't seem like she teaches anything other than romantic <laughs> advice to her like very young students. She just is like very feelingsy around her students. <laughs> yeah. um, did you notice that everything in her house is red and green? And I don't even mean like she decorated it for Christmas the way my mom puts out like the Christmas 
guest towels in the bathroom in December. I mean that like literally like her china cabinet is painted red, like which is fine. Like some people have red furniture, but I was like, come on, her furniture doesn't need to be red. No. And in every scene with her sister, she would be wearing either red or green, and then her sister would be wearing either red or green. And I know that this is like a trope in these like holiday movies, but. Even as someone who loves Christmas, I get a little tired of red and green. I'm like, can we not bring in some other jewel tones into the mix, please? Jewel tones are very holiday. I was just at a wedding, um, a winter wedding, and the bridesmaids wore these long gowns that each one was in a different jewel tone. Cute. Like emerald green, a navy blue, kind of like a rich plum. And I was like, this is the palette I want to be seeing in these holiday rom-com movies. Enough with like the cherry red and the Kelly green. I just need to see some other colors. Well, Brooke does go all out with her Christmas decorations until we find out what color her tree is. And it is one of those god-awful snow-white plastic trees. The worst. It's so bad. And I'm an artificial tree person, unfortunately. um, And even I don't do that kind. Good. Yours is green, like a tree would be. (laughs) A green artificial tree. It's actually pretty good. It's a pretty good tree. Anyway, some more junk happens. Cole drives, uh, parks on a sidewalk. I can't believe she lets him drive her car. Well, don't worry, because Officer Stevens finds the car and nothing bad happens. This is a world where no one has to worry about medical insurance or car insurance because he goes to the hospital. I don't know who gets saddled with that medical bill. It's probably going to be Brooke. She's on a teacher's salary, for God's sake. Her parents must have, I mean... I don't know what her mother did, but certainly not a police office, small town police officer salary that her father was bringing home. But her house is so huge. She must have so much money. Well, she is impeccably dressed, I will say. Yeah. And always in the most makeup, both her and her sister. Yeah. Well, that's just kind of the thing <laughs> in these movies. Um, can we talk about the rescue scene? Yes. Let's talk about that. So we cut to a scene from... The sister Mad's house, where Claire and her friend, uh, we have Claire le- being the young niece, Claire, the daughter of correct, Mads, correct, are going to go play nights just outside the door, and then they're in the woods somewhere. <laughs> they somehow wander off into the woods, and then they get from a relatively busy suburban street. <laughs> they get stuck on a frozen lake where the ice is cracking. Terrifying, and. Cole and Vanessa Hudgens' character, Brooke, Brooke Winters? Brooke yep. Winters. They are looking for the girls, and they're the first ones to find the girls. They're on the ice, and they're hysterical because they can't take a step without the ice cracking. Okay, so now here's a question, because Cole knows how to rescue them because he's like, okay, get down on your belly and then just slide to me on your belly. I believe he says, be the slowest snail you've ever been, <laughs> or something like that. The writing is weird. The writing is weird. But is this like a real thing you're supposed to do? Do you know what I mean? Like, if Yeah, you're I ever... supposed to spread your weight out. So that's like correct. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, this is like a pro tip if I ever get stuck on ice. Well, yeah, don't go out onto the ice that you don't know is solid. Well, I mean, they probably thought it was solid. It says uh, the friend, Claire's friend, mentions that she tripped and slid out onto the ice. But she's like 30 yards away. <laughs> But it must have been a pretty slippery, uh, slippery slide. Okay, so I'll remember. This is like the one piece of concrete information I can take from this movie that if I get stuck on thin ice, I should get down on my belly and be the slowest snail I've ever seen. I yeah, should spread, spread out, out my as much weight. as possible. Okay, I believe that's, good that's to correct. Know. We should check that before telling our listeners. 
<laughs> when you're fishing this winter, <laughs> please be very careful. Does your dad ice fish? No. Oh. Ice fishing is one of the most miserable things you can do. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought, well, I had a former coworker who loved ice fishing. I think he found it very contemplative. Is he one of those people that just really likes being alone? Probably. Yeah. If you really want to be alone, no one else is going to bother you because you're in a tiny hut in the freezing cold. So after rescuing Claire, Cole gets a bunch of accolades, especially from Officer Stevens. Who's falling out on the job again. He didn't rescue these kids. Right. He shows up late. Well, maybe no one called him because I don't know where her mother is, Claire's mother is during this whole thing. Why Aunt Brooke and Sir Cole had to be the ones well, to go. Because they split up. I see. They split up. I see. Also, I thought that Brooke's sister, Mads, was a single mom. And then, because I think I wasn't paying enough attention, they mm. must have provided a bit of exposition about where the dad was. But then he like shows up later. And then I was like, who's this guy? I thought she was a single mom, but that's neither. Only mentioned in the first phone call that he is out on a case. I believe he's a lawyer of some sort. Oh, I thought he was a detective. Um, Sure. (laughs) (laughs) um, This definitely feels like the kind of script that was hastily written and then – no one bothered to like go back and make sure whether like people were introduced properly or you know like they came up with maybe backstories and there was like more exposition that got cut and then like other pieces of information were like neglected to be put back in later because mm-hmm. that's like pretty basic. Yeah, I think a lot of people failed to read this script before production started. <laughs> fair, fair. We end up back at the Christmas Village for very little reason, and this is when I kind of started getting a little worried uh, that Officer Stevens has is absolutely losing it because he offers – Officer Stevens offers Cole a job on the police force after Cole beats up a child. Okay. So let me go back a little bit. Oh, that's right. A, a very young man who I believe is the one that the student – that cheated on the student – Ms. Winter's student. The Ms. Winter's student yeah. that broke her heart and made her fail an exam or something. Steals the pocketbook from an old woman. It was that kid? I thought it was a random kid. Well, she mentions his name. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Brooke, sorry, Miss Winters mentions his name. Like, she recognizes him, and I believe we're supposed to believe that that is... It, it doesn't matter. He's never going to be back in it. A full-grown man, somewhere in his 30s, beats this kid up, tackles him to the ground, gets the pocketbook back... And then the child gets arrested by Officer Stevens and (laughs) Cole gets offered a job. This is like a – it's like Watchmen, you know. It's like vigilante justice. It's just like Watchmen. (laughs) It is. (laughs) If you guys are really into Watchmen, you're going to love The Night Before Christmas. (laughs) We haven't haven't even mentioned that this is, of course, K-N-I-G-H-T. Yeah, of course. There's also one of the more baffling lines I've ever heard and it made less sense – With the subtitles on. Let me read it to you. Okay. Cole says something along the lines of, well, love is more complicated now than in times of yore. To which Brooke replies, I prefer your to mine. Y-O-R-E. And it's not a pun because it doesn't make sense. Is she saying I prefer your time period to my time period? I don't know. (laughs) I think someone wrote it and was like, well, your kind of sounds like your. But that's it. I don't think it goes deeper than that. I must have gotten up for a bathroom break during that part. I don't remember that line. (laughs) I'm looking at my notes, which are getting like sparser and sparser. And I just have written down, ugh, I hate mistletoe as a device in holiday rom-coms. You know, they try to kiss a few times and the phone always rings and they never go back to it. Yeah, I'm okay with that trope. I cannot stand it. There has never been a time and be like, oh, 
man, this is really fun. I really want to kiss you. Oh, let me check this text message. I guess we can never try again. <laughs> anyway, we end up at the fundraiser on Christmas Eve, and it turns out this fundraiser, which way more well attended than the knighting of <laughs> Sir Joffrey. That's because you know how high the mortality rate was back then? There's like literally no one alive <laughs> to attend the knighting. True. But it's so well attended that this fundraiser must have raised a ton of money, but it seems to all have gone to one family. <laughs> right. The, single, the dad single dad with the four kids that you see at the Who beginning. get a bike and toys and all the things that they needed for Christmas. I was a little uncomfortable with that scene because – if, oh, he also gets a what you assume we never don't look inside the envelope is a fat stack of cash. I don't know if I'm using this term right, but you know the term like noblesse oblige, you know, this idea of like the obligation of a nobleman, mm, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like you're supposed to conduct yourself in this really like chivalrous, gentlemanly way, whatever, like your kind of social contract as like a noble person. That's how it felt when they were giving the single dad all the gifts of being like look at us we are so rich and magnanimous and like we're gonna like make this grand gesture that you have to like respond to immediately you know what i mean like look at us buying your kids a bike because like your broke ass couldn't do it you know that's how it felt Mm -hmm. and there's like something is like off either in the writing or the acting or everything i think it was a fantastic collaboration Uh, everyone involved to make this feel so gross. Yeah, I didn't like that at all. Anyway, it is at this Christmas Eve feast when Cole and Brooke kiss for the first time. And who is there? The old crone, the weird magic druid from the beginning. Apparently in a dream while watching Netflix. A fever dream. In a fever dream, Cole is transported back to Norwich in the 14th century to the scene that we saw before, except this time the dialogue is different. <laughs> so No, it's supposed to be like the second bit. No, it's not the second no, bit of that conversation. We see the whole conversation. Saw, yeah. Oh, you're right. That's really stupid. <laughs> yeah. Only, to, only in the flashback does the old crone tell Cole what his quest actually is. That's right. Is it supposed to be? No, it's also not like a Rashomon thing because it's like now we're just seeing two versions of the conversation. So maybe Cole did have some kind of mental break because he can't even like remember the inciting incident properly. Cole died in the car accident at the beginning. In a hit and run. In a hit and run. And Brooke Winters is now on the lam <laughs> running from Officer Stevens. See, now that's a good movie. And all of this is in her imagination where all police officers are idiots. And this is like um, nothing to worry about. This is like incident and on Owl Creek Bridge, you know, that old short story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, it turns out his quest was fulfilled by kissing Brooke. Sure. They go back to the Christmas village, and in a moment of pure terror, <laughs> Cole <laughs> disappears in a puff of smoke, and he is transported back That's right. to his brother's nighting, which was a couple days later. So everyone's been missing him for a while, but no one seems to matter because, again, the castle is abandoned. The <laughs> only person in the courtyard to meet him is his brother. There is no one in the windows. There is no I <laughs> fires he, lit. I thought he went back to the same. No, he, it wasn't the same day because now it's like a couple days have passed. So it's like he disappeared during the falcon hunt and apparently no one noticed or cared. Right. Okay. Cool. Yeah, Jeffrey says something like, oh, you've been gone a couple days. Like, really nonchalantly. <laughs> like, we gave up looking already. Like, damn, dude. <laughs> so Cole tells Jeffrey, Joffrey, whatever his name is, 
that he has fulfilled his nightly quest and that he's in love with Miss Winters. Excuse me, Lady Winters. Does he call her Lady Winters? Only in old-timey talk. <laughs> Only in the scenes that take place in Norwich. Uh, that he is in love with Lady Winters and he must return to her. So he goes off to find the druid in the woods. We cut back to present day. Lady Winters is very sad. Um, she misses this night so much that she's known for, we're going to say, about a week. Even less, don't you think? Yeah, That's real. the thing about these movies. It's always like it's like really like silly short amount of time. Cuffing season, I believe is what it's called. What's cuffing season? It's when you get into a relationship in fall and winter just because, like, you don't want to go outside and you're just trying to find someone to bed down with for the is long this a winter. Thing? This is a real thing. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, like documented by sociologists? Sure. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, really? Yeah. Should we look up where cuffing season came from? It sounds kind of, it sounds like a double entendre. I'm sure it is. Well, don't Google it. Oh, God. F- Urban Dictionary. FW. Don't go to Urban Dictionary. Uh, this is the <laughs> Urban Dictionary <laughs> Urban Dictionary entry for cuffing season. During the fall and winter months, people who would normally rather be single or promiscuous find themselves along with the rest of the world, desiring to be cuffed or tied down by a serious relationship. The cold weather and prolonged indoor activity causes singles to become lonely and desperate to be cuffed. I wish I hadn't read it out loud. <laughs> Yeah, me too. Also, though, that reminds me of this Christmas song I love called In the Bleak Midwinter, Mm. which is not about cuffing season. But I'm like seeing this connection where, you know, yeah, winter's bleak. Everyone's just looking for some companionship. Mm -hmm. So sadly, Brooks Cuffy has disappeared. Don't say Cuffy. (laughs) Cuffy. Cuffy. Brooke is very sad. She goes over to her sister's family's house for Christmas, where they have received a puppy. No one knows where this puppy came from, but it's only interrogated for about five seconds. Everyone seems fine with it that someone broke into their house. And put a live animal under the tree. And you think the movie will explain this. It doesn't. Of course not. It says something along, Brooke says something along the lines of, well, maybe it's just Christmas magic. <laughs> okay, everyone takes that as it's fine. It's all fine. They have a new live animal that mysteriously appeared in a stocking. And the brother-in-law, the sister's husband also magically materializes with Correct. no explanation really. Correct. Yeah. Cuz I was like, who's this guy? <laughs> and apparently we find out that there's a tradition that we were not told of before where they go to back to the Christmas village every year for Christmas on Christmas Day. All these poor people who have to work Right? Christmas at the Christmas village. Especially Santa and Mrs. Claus, I who mean, are fantastic give actors. these people are break. <laughs> and then we cut back to... Medieval times. Medieval times, where Cole has found the old crone, who I guess we can assume has collected all the infinity stones because... <laughs> she snaps her fingers. She s- literally snaps her fingers, and Cole disappears in a puff of blue dust. And if the movie cut right there, I would lose my shit. Do you think that was a very deliberate Avengers reference? I don't know. I think snapping your fingers is a magic thing, maybe, and it's like she's sort of a, this generic wizard monster. I don't know. I feel like someone in the writer's room or something was having some fun because there is a scene earlier in the film where they just cut to kind of a gratuitous shot of um, Cole's gloves, like his gauntlets, on Miss Winters' like, lip- coffee table or something. Right. And they just look like Thanos' gloves. 
I, maybe someone was a big Marvel fan because the the medallion he gets very Infinity Stony. The snap to make him disintegrate into thin air. Absolutely. <laughs> anyway, sadly, Cole does not die along with half of the population of the universe. But instead, he is transported back to the Christmas village in Bracebridge. Bracebridge. <laughs> Bracebridge, 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 Ohio. Okay, now do it in the Catherine Hepburn accent. Everything works out. The, they decide to get together and fall in love. And when asked by, I believe it is Mads, someone finally asks what Cole's plan is now that he's living in <laughs> the present day. He's undocumented. He says, well, maybe I'll join the police force. Or become a baker. <laughs> so he's got options. We th- feel great about that. I think his only option is to like join the underground economy and just be baking bread out of um, Brooke's house and like selling it from a cart on the street without Absolutely. a license. I mean, he Absolutely. has no ID. Okay. You can go back to our episode on... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did do an episode about people in the shadow economy, but they didn't have white night priv like Cole did. Exactly. Okay, so here are the last couple of notes I have. There's a line where someone says, probably Cole, love is the most important knightly virtue. And I was uh, like, yes. it is literally not. Like, <laughs> think about the function of a knight in the 14th century. A warrior. I Someone mean, who gets sent off to murder like people who, in West Asia who don't believe in Christ. I like, w- yeah, exactly. I was like, the knights like just committed like genocide and um, atrocities in the name of religion. I, I mean, the, the retconning of what knights valued in the 14th century was, was you know, offensive, for love. offensive to me. Also, I wrote down, I am a believer in love and also turtlenecks tucked into wide-legged pants. Because Vanessa Hudgens wears like a Her series. Her pants are fantastic. Yeah, I'm saying the wardrobe in this movie, unimpeachable. Everything else, impeachable. She is objectively a beautiful woman. The man Agreed. who plays Cole... Is such a, like, boy, such this just generic kind of weird-faced duh. Totally. I mean, Vanessa Hudgens, I mean, she is winning, I would say. And I watched hashtag her. Winning. Hashtag winning. I watched her, what was it called? The Christmas Switch last year. I thought she was oh, right. really good in that. And, you know, my kid's really into the original High School Musical, which is what made her famous. Okay. And, you know, I don't think she's found a better pairing since Zac Efron. Well, Cole is not Zach. Is no Cole Zac is no Zach Efron. Let me tell you, um, who would have been fantastic in this movie. He would. This have was been. a Zach Efron part that they just couldn't afford him for. Oh my gosh! If they could get Vanessa Hudgens and Zach Efron back together in a holiday rom com on Netflix, I would die. Netflix, if you're listening, you know what to do. This next is what year. my husband calls them aura. You know, like aura around actors and what mm. we know of them. In their like real lives, because do you remember Revolutionary Road? Yes. Okay. I didn't see it because it looked real depressing. Oh my gosh! I watched it in the theater and it was real depressing. Um, but Revolutionary Road, like, I did not enjoy the movie at all. It just like too dark and everything. But like, my husband was really into it because he liked the idea of this movie taking the aura of Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio and subverting it. And so he enjoyed it purely on that level. Whereas like this, I, he wouldn't have enjoyed this movie if Titanic didn't exist. Exactly. Uh-huh. And I was mad because I'm like, this movie has to succeed on its own merits, and it's fine to like if you appreciate aura. But I was like, that can't be like the whole driving force behind a movie. 
uh, because that just means like the story's not working, even though I right. know it's like based on a novel and everything. Anyway, that's just a side note on Aura, but I would be very into Vanessa and Zach teaming up for a holiday rom-com. So I'm going to put that in the universe maybe for next year. I think that movie would be more successful than this one. Next year. Should we talk about the post-credit sequence? Yes. So it's not even post-credits. I think one credit rolls and then a picture-in-picture shows up. Is everyone doing this now? Like <laughs> this weird split Marvel thing? started doing it, so now we all have to do post-credit sequences? I don't know. This was one of the most meaningless scenes. I don't know why it was shot. I don't know why it was put in. Once it was shot, I don't know who spent the time color correcting it. Like <laughs> Joffrey gets knighted. His brother has already left, so he didn't even stay for the knighting ceremony. (laughs) Joffrey gets knighted, and then the crone shows up and presents him with a red Infinity Stone. Right. It's like for TGI Fridays. Exactly. It's a a different chain restaurant. It's a different chain restaurant. (laughs) You know what I think is probably next year, don't you think, they're going to do a sequel but with Joffrey? Absolutely not. You don't think so? There's like why no way. don't you think they're setting up a sequel, a follow-up? Because that's what that's what they do with these movies now. Maybe they send him back in time. To what, like the ninth century? Yeah, it's a sort of Rome in <laughs> <laughs> I mean that is a thing, it's right? Like about a this classical time, era. <laughs> about this time travel is like you're traveling not just across time, but across geography. To a country that Cole didn't know existed. A continent Cole didn't know existed. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't even think about that until right now. And he never once asked, where the fuck is Ohio? What are you talking about? What are any of you talking about? (laughs) Please send me home. I mean, again, I really think that if they wanted to do a time travel rom-com, they should have picked a different era, which is why I will make a pitch for the movie Kate and Leopold starring Meg Ryan. And a huge Ackman. And as my father-in-law calls him, Jack Human. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, seriously. That's really good. Isn't that good? That's really good. Um, international singing and dancing sensation, who I love, unironically, Hugh Jackman. <laughs> this movie, Kate Leopold, I think Leopold, the time-traveling romantic hero, I think he's like from maybe like the 18th century or something. Yeah, he's like Napoleonic era, he's like maybe. He's Napoleonic, which like I think makes way more sense. I think you get into far fewer questions of like, you know, shouldn't this person be so confused by his surroundings that he would literally be unable to function? Like, you would just be so scared. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sorry I made you watch this movie. Oh, don't be sorry. I did write a line for this movie that somehow didn't make it in, but I was really proud of it. And I turned and said it to my girlfriend, and she just shook her head and walked out of the room. I guess once Cole comes back, someone needed needed to say, well, it looks like Brooke's going to get a little coal in her stockings. Oh, that's really good. Right? And, you know, Netflix can be saucy like that because it's not Hallmark. Because exactly. you notice that Cole and Brooke kiss before the last 30 seconds of the movie, which is, like, not the way that Hallmark does it. Hallmark has, like, very rigid rules about when they can actually have physical contact. Is the kiss the end of the movie? The kiss is, like, almost Mm. always the last few seconds of the movie. Like, it's always telephones ringing and, like, people busting in through doors, like, thwarting the kiss uh, up until until that point. But Netflix, I think, should be able to take some more liberties and play around with the uh, conventions of this genre. Well, they didn't. 
<laughs> this is a very bad movie. I know. It's it's really boring. It's unfortunately because it's like boring and it shouldn't be boring. It has a like fantasy sci-fi premise. Like you could have had fun with it. I mean, again, I love time travel stories. This, not it. Favorite Christmas movie before we wrap up here. Favorite Christmas movie, um, Muppet Christmas Carol. Okay. Yours. Gremlins. Oh, that is a good one. I love it. And I think that should do us. We have talked for almost an hour. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to have to edit this down. No one wants to listen to us talk about this movie for an hour. (laughs) Cut at least half an hour. You can cut all the bits where um, I talked about Catherine Hepburn and the mid-Atlantic accent. Why? Because now you're not going to give me the accent? (laughs) I'm not going to do it. Listeners, if you'd like to hear Waylon (laughs) do a Catherine Hepburn impression, please write in to Jason Freed at – I'm just kidding. (laughs) Well, that is it for us and the Rework Podcast. We will see you next year. Yeah, I'll see you in two weeks. With more stories that have nothing to do with time travel. Well, let's not make that promise. But certainly have... I would love to do more stories about time travel. If you are a time travel startup experimenting with tachyon particles, I guess, please tweet us at Rework Podcast. You can also find us online, as always, at our website, rework.fm. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. You sound so mad. Happy holidays. I am a little, I'm tired. You're mad at this movie. I'm tired because I actually stayed up too late watching this movie. Oh, I'm sorry. It's so totally okay. It's not your fault because I wanted to get Mandalorian in first. Oh, I'm behind a Mandalorian. We did Watchmen instead. Um, the amount of nativity scenes I want to see this year where Jesus is replaced with Baby Yoda, Baby Yoda! needs to be a thousand. <sighs> but we're never getting that merchandise. <laughs> we'll get it in May. We'll have it in time for next Christmas. All right. Goodbye, everyone. Happy holidays. We Can you find some, like, Jingle Bells type music to play at the beginning of this? No matter what music I find, it will be better than the terribly awful renditions of Christmas music that was played in this movie. Oh, well, I have stuff to say about Christmas music as well. Great. Because I'm a, I'm a Christmas music aficionado.